Ain't gonna burn ourselves out no more. Ain't gonna burn ourselves out no more. Got each other on our side, plus all the folks at Fried the Burnout Podcast with Kate Donovan. Fried the Burnout Podcast. Hello, Fried fam. Today we have the wonderful joy, or at least I have the wonderful joy. I won't speak for everybody. <laughs> Spending time with Jim Young again. Jim Young has been on the podcast before. He was one of the first men that came on the podcast to share his story. Since then, he has released a book called Expansive Intimacy. And there's just been a lot of things evolving from when the time we spoke and a lot of things that you're doing around community building for men at the moment. And in the burnout space, let's just be honest about the fact that we're mostly talking to women most of the time. We, I say we as the collective burnout people in the world, and that doesn't leave a lot of space to diminish the shame, blame, guilt, and judgment that men are sitting with, with their burnout. So today, Jim is going to tell you a re-burnout story because, you. you know, sometimes we go there more than once. And then we're going to jump into something that Jim has created to create space for men for healing, for connection, for community, etc. So, Jim, welcome back to the show. Kate, it's always a pleasure. And I just love your show so much. It's been such a great source for me to continue to understand my burnout and also to share with other folks. So thanks again for opening up the space. Of course, when we when we got on just before, I said, you know, we kind of have heard your burnout story, but just give us a synopsis. And you were like, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a recidivist. <laughs> so let's jump into it. Yeah, the story I told last time I was on the show was what I think of as my burnout crater moment, mm. you know, kind of the, the the low point. And I was an executive at a company and really just hit full on burnout. And I left the company and I was kind of the end of that story. Well, I went on to another organization after that. I was playing with the idea of going out and doing self-employed work, but I wasn't really ready. So I kind of found a lily pad as I think of it these days. I got this job at this organization. People I know in my network had warned me. They said, the culture there is really challenging. And I was like, I'm fine. I can totally handle it. <clears throat> and I got there and I saw what they meant and I was able to make some really positive change. I was leading a small team. We were kind of at this core part of the business, running the IT function of this business and kind of brought this scrappy group together, really worked with my peers, put in, you know, for six, eight, 10 months, you know, a bunch of really great work to just get everybody back on board and feeling good again. And then I started, things started to change. Mm. And, and with the lens of history and the work that I've done, the research and learning I've done around burnout, I went back through and I looked at the factors that contribute to burnout. My workload wasn't crazy at this job. It was actually a pretty easy job. I could almost put my feet up on the desk and we could get a lot of shit done and do it pretty well. So it wasn't that I had this workload issue, which I think gets conflated with burnout a lot of times, like, oh, you're just crazy busy, you have too much work to do and, and you're stressed out. That wasn't it. 
I was getting paid all right. The benefits were all right. So that part of reward was okay, but I wasn't getting real support from kind of the people up above me in the organization. So there were some reward issues there. And then values and fairness, there was this total mismatch for me around some of the values. It was really a, an organization whose primary focus was to help people create shareholder wealth. And that's not at all resonant for me. I think it's a, a, a big old trap in our, our current culture and economy, mm -hmm. but for another day. And, and while I had some community, I had some peers, or actually it was more direct reports and people at, at, at that layer of the organization that I felt some good community with, but on the peer level and certainly above me in the organizational structure, I didn't feel like I belonged. I didn't feel a sense of community. And, the, and there were fairness issues as well. There was definitely favoritism and, and it, it all came to a head one day when I recognized like, hey, I've been doing really good work here. And actually, because I don't have, I have bandwidth, I don't have this workload issue and I saw greater needs. I said, you know what? I'd really like to up my game. I'd like to take on a higher level strategic role at more of an executive level in this organization. I already had executive experience before that. <clears throat> and I, I wrote up a little proposal. I sent it to my boss and set up a meeting to discuss it. And I remember, you know, we'd go to meet and we usually would just meet in her office and she's like, we're going to meet in the conference room. And I'm like, okay, cool. Maybe she's got some big ideas she wants to expand upon. And she ended up threatening my job, like basically saying like, you need to stay in your place. And I don't know why you're doing this. And it really blew my mind. And all of the goodwill that had been built up over the course of those previous, whatever, eight, 10 months, just evaporated in an instant. And I was back to being really resentful and really just feeling like <clears throat> this treatment is not okay. I lasted maybe another six months before I pulled the plug and resigned with no plan and <laughs> went on to figure out, you know, what the next steps were without a net a little bit. So, you know, from the outside, it probably looked like Jim's got this cake job. It's really easy. He's having a lot of success. And the personal experience of misalignment and the treatment that just didn't feel like I was really part of something, despite all this, this apparent success, it was just like, okay, I'm right back into the frying pan. Yeah. And then you have all these people as I mean, and, and women, especially who are afraid to speak up and say, mm -hmm. Hey, I'd love to see this change. Hey, I'd love to. And we wonder why. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. It's, it, it very much was a toxic work culture and a toxic masculine work culture. And I won't even pretend to try and unpack that because I assume your listeners are already there and we <laughs> take questions <laughs> offline about that. But it was really interesting because when we talk about toxic masculinity or toxic patriarchy, I think oftentimes it's people who look just like me who have yeah. the bullseye put on their forehead. And for good reason, it was the system was designed by people like me and it benefits people like me, which, you know, for people who are just listening to this, I am a white, straight, able-bodied, heterosexual, cisgender, male, like whatever all the qualifications are, like the top percent. The privileged guy. I'm, I'm, I'm the guy. privileged guy. Yeah. Hell yes, absolutely. And a lot of the actors in that organization who are 
promoting that culture and keeping it running were women, mm. right? And it was the, their way to stay ahead in the system and get what they needed personally. And it, it was the system that was perpetuating. There were yeah. actually very few men who were present on a regular basis. <laughs> you know, the one who was most powerful, the CEO would kind of drop in every so often right. and, you know, really. But the culture the was the culture. And if you want to survive somewhere, you get into the culture because that's how you create a false sense of, but a false sense of belonging. Yeah. For me, it's the phrase go along to get along Yeah, comes up. And it was really, it's interesting. I, I didn't connect that until this moment that that was probably one of the first times in my life where I said, I'm not going to go along to get along. I had recognized probably from my prior burnout experience, like where this is going to lead if I just continue to play by the rules. And I had a little bit easier of a time, I'll acknowledge to speak up and say, Hey, this isn't cool. It still didn't change anything. So I said, yeah. okay, I'm leaving. Yeah. And I think this is one of the things that we talk about a lot on Fried is this need to keep data points. And this is not an idea of like collect everything people do wrong against you. No, no, no. Yeah. But collecting good and bad data points along the way so that when you do come to a place where you have to make a decision about should I quit or should I grit? Am I staying or am I going? That you can we often find ourselves in this really emotional place about it. And then we're thinking, well, should I be listening to my emotions? Like my head says, you need some, you have some bills to pay sister. Like, what am I going to do here? And having this kind of documented side of, Hey, I, well, I went to this person. I saw this problem. There were these other problems lined up. I spoke up about this problem and I got shot down. Mm -hmm. That gets like five extra points on the go list. And learning how to decipher those of us that didn't grow up with safety have a hard time deciphering if communities and cultures are safe for us. Mm -hmm. So you have to externalize it and make it uber obvious. Like, is this place safe for me? And if you can't quit your job tomorrow and like just sort of hope something happens, cool. But start creating an exit plan if what you're noticing is that there's a real seesaw effect on your chart and like there's one side that's just holding down towards the ground and you're up on the other side flopping your legs around without any control over what's going on in your world. Mm -hmm. Look at the data. Make yeah. it a concrete thing that says, listen, I can't be successful here and I've made all of the efforts and had the conversations and done the things that I would need to do in order to feel successful here. And it's not, I'm not getting the support. I'm not getting the, I'm not getting, I'm not getting. This is something that I find happens really often in the return to work mm -hmm. scenario. People take a break, they go back to work, and it turns out that the culture was terrible all the time. You might have even done some self-care and some healing along the way and realize I can do boundaries and I can do this and I can do that, but it might not be enough to combat the shit you're in. Yeah. When that system is so powerful and it, that momentum has been rolling for years or decades and everybody knows the playbook, you can speak truth to power. You can advocate and you can stand up for what you need and you might get steamrolled. I mean, that yeah. definitely was my experience. And I'm glad you named the privilege that I had to walk away 
And like, it wasn't like a, an easy move. I think I had like three or four months of savings that I could live off of, which is absolutely privileged. A lot of people don't have anything close to that. And so if you do find yourself in that situation, I love that advice of start defining what the exit plan is. There always is a better way. It might take longer than, than in my story. And there are people that will fight with me on that. Yeah. There's not a lot of jobs where I live. There's not this, there's not that. And yet over and over and over again, I hear stories of people that were able to find a different way, a different path, a different, an unexpected, a different perspective. And this is why, I mean, self-pitch and also pitch for all coaches everywhere. Working with someone else when you're in this space that helps you to see perspective is absolutely critical because sometimes you look around and there's walls on both sides of you and there's like you you can look up and you're at like the bottom of a well and you're like there's nothing else here. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, a coach can throw you a rope that you can climb up the well and be like, oh, my God, there's this whole world out there. I didn't even know. Yeah. And sometimes you really do need that. And it's not your fault that you need that. When you are burnt out, your ability to see perspective changes. Mm -hmm. You lose the ability to see options and possibility. It makes you feel more stuck on a neurological level. This is not your fault. Right. But you might need somebody that says, hey, you know what? Actually, this is, this is possible. And one more thing that I want to place here just as a, as a placeholder for a moment this is something that I suggest to my clients a lot and haven't spoken about on the podcast. If you don't have a feeling of safety in your financial world, getting really clear on what your budget is and how it functions and where the money's going and when it's coming in, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, will increase your overall feelings of safety, both in your life and in your physical body. This day, I am not getting paid for this. I'm getting nothing from this. The tool that I use for this is called Why You Need a Budget. And the website is, is ynab.com. Just the letters, ynab, ynab.com. And it allows you to gain a sense of control and influence over what's happening with your money that might really help you just anchor down a little bit that level of anxiety that you have. And you might not think that you have the ability to buy yourself three or four months, but you might find out that you do. I love that. So practical in restoring some of our agency and our ability to say, wait, what are the strategies? Because when we are at that place where it just feels like our head is barely bobbing above the yeah. water, we're not in a position to make big moves and, and come up with a new plan. And I do, I just want to echo because it's so experiential for me. And mm. again, same caveat of like, yeah, I'm a coach. So I'm really trying not to like pitch, like you should hire a coach. Oh, I'm totally pitching that. <clears throat> Great. <laughs> <laughs> Fine. I'm going to back off of that. But when I had my, my first burnout story where I really just cratered completely and I said, okay, I got to get out of this job. And I'm like, I'm going to go be, I'm going to go do my own thing. I'm going to go into self-employment. And I started that business and I tried to do it. I did a little bit of pro bono work to kind of get a little bit of attraction. And then I gave up because I didn't know what to do. Things started to get scary. Mm. And then the second time around when I said, okay, I really need to leave this time. I really think the key move that I made 
was hiring a coach right away. I was like, I need somebody who can see in me what I don't see in myself and who can also point out the, you know, the different opportunities that I just can't identify by asking me great questions, really helping me see who I was and get connected with, with my values and my purpose and all those things that coaches love to talk about because they mean a lot when we're aligned, then those opportunities just start showing up and you're like, where was that all the time? And it might've been right in front of your nose. You just couldn't see it. Yeah. So that was a huge, huge difference between my two big burnout experiences. Yeah. Now I want to spend a little bit of time on the book. Mm. The book, writing the book was a journey for you. Yeah. And releasing the book was a journey for you. And for those of you, I mean, I guess none of you really know this, but Jim and I talk at least once a month. So I have quite a bit of insight into this, <laughs> into the behind the scenes process here. First, tell everybody what expansive intimacy is about. The word intimacy often scares people and, and yeah. makes them go the wrong place. So let's first talk about what that, what the book is about. To give the full title, <clears throat> excuse me, it's Expansive Intimacy, How Tough Guys Defeat Burnout. Tough guys being in quotes. What the book is about, what it started off about was my burnout journey because of what you named at the top of the episode is that there is a lot going on in the world in the last few years, especially around burnout conversations and burnout resources. And I started to really connect to that and notice then it was very female focused or at least general population focused. And there weren't specific resources that I could see that were out there for men's experience of burnout. And I felt it was a little bit different, not in outcome and experience of actually being burned out, but the path way in the, the unique door that we might go in or set of doors. So I wanted to write about that. <clears throat> and I had reached a point where I was no longer, I hadn't been in burnout for at least a couple of years. And I thought, how did I do it? Mm -hmm. Because I want to help other people, other guys in particular with that. And as I rewound the tapes, I realized that it was creating intimate connections in every area of my life. So not the intimate romantic sexual relationship that we oftentimes pigeonhole intimacy into, but a renewed sense of intimacy with my kids and, and deeper connection with them and really being present for what was going on in their lives emotionally and experientially. Friendship, I had really lost a lot of friendship during my burnout years. And I also divorced it during that phase of time, rebuilding close social connections who I could really lean into and I could talk about the things I was excited about and also what I was worried about and everything in between, as well as all the other forms of intimacy, whether that's with, I have intimate relationships with colleagues. I count you as one of those people, Kate. We talk about some serious stuff when we get together and I know yeah. that if something's going on, I can get in touch with you and you're gonna be there for me. Yeah. So soothing to me to know that I have all these resources. And so that was my aha moment was recognizing that by creating more connection and intimacy in my life, I was able to move out of burnout, recover from burnout. And so far anyways, burnout proof my life because when things come up, I have places to take them. I don't have to stay alone with them, which is 
part of the, the male experience, I think, the traditional male experience of, I'm going to go it alone. I need to be successful. I can't reveal what emotions that I'm having. Can't ask for help. Like these rules that have been silently codified for men, that's what I'm trying to break. What I love about this so much is that when we, the conversation around boundaries that's currently really popular mm -hmm. is that you've got to put boundaries up and keep things out. Mm -hmm. Learn to say no, learn to <clears throat> push things away, learn to step back, learn to, right? And we talk about that a lot on Fried. But when you read boundary research, boundary researchers have a very particular way of describing boundaries that they call a continuum. And mm. that continuum goes from integration to segmentation. And there's no ideal space on this continuum. And different parts of your life might live in different parts of this continuum in, in different, times, different times. Yeah. Right. So what you're saying right now is that instead of building walls, you opened gates. Fried fam, I tell you in nearly every episode that step one of your burnout recovery is blood work. And I know that a lot of you avoid it because it's a pain and because your doctor has told you that everything is quote unquote fine. And they refuse to test all the things that you think you need. What if I told you that you could test what you want, when you want, from your home with just a couple of drops of blood? Cyfox Health allows you to do just that. You can buy tests as one-offs or join a membership. Either way, you can test and track your results to help you make decisions about your burnout recovery journey. Get 10% off any membership, subscription, or one-time test kit right now. Go to cyfoxhealth.com forward slash fried for your discount. That's S-I-P-H-O-X health.com forward slash fried. Yes, and I also learned to build walls because I grew up as a people pleaser, mm -hmm. as a perfectionist. Mm -hmm. And so I would oftentimes cross my own boundaries yeah. to try to make other people accept me and feel better about myself and feel successful. And I learned one of the one of the many, many nuggets of wisdom that I took from several years that I spent actively working the Al-Anon 12-step program for friends and families of alcoholics was that boundaries are like drawbridges. Yes, sometimes yes. they need to be open and sometimes they need to be closed. Yeah. And learning myself well enough to know what are the scenarios in which I need to protect myself yeah. versus I need to extend myself. Yeah. And this to me, the same, the drawbridge analogy fits for me. This to me is, is a gate. Mm -hmm. You can control whether a gate is locked if it's open, if it's closed, if it's left open sort of inadvertently and anybody can waltz in, if it's only opened by a code, if there's a, there's mm -hmm. so many ways to control this that. process that sometimes boundaries are about letting people in and in our yes. patriarchy, 
one of the things that you learn as a ma- as a woman is take care of everybody, their emotional needs and, and sort of physical needs, make sure they're fed. And as a man, what you learn is you are the protector. If they are not financially stable and physically safe, you are failing. Yes. And you cannot ask anyone for that because you are the man of the house. Mm-hmm. And all the stress that that condition puts on a person, I'm going to speak to the male side of that because yeah. it's the one I know. It takes up so much of a man's oxygen that they may have the desire, just even an inkling that they want to be a nurturer for their family and, and be more active in providing care to people in their lives. Mm. And yet it's like, I don't have the the time for that or the room for that. And it's someone else's job. Like if we follow the. the so we norm, put it on the woman. Yeah. We reinforce that. And, and it can become really comfortable for a man to be like, well, I don't have to worry about, you know, thinking about when the kids doctor's appointments are going to be scheduled or how we're going to navigate the week in our household or what our romantic life is like, or any of those other things that we t- traditionally throw over the fence and say, the women in my life will take care of that. Yeah. yeah. That's not integration. No, it's not. And, and in some places, segmentation is the proper choice, not necessarily this one. So this book is about how men can allow themselves to be vulnerable enough to allow more integration. Is yeah. that a fair? That's a great description. And, and the other thing I want to name in there, because it, it surprised me in the writing process and it became, it grew from a small comment from my developmental editor into one of the three parts of the book. And it sits right in between burnout and intimacy and it's shame. Mm -hmm. And I know you talk about it on every episode, you bring up shame and the shame that men feel around that provider role or around even the, the, the perception of how well they're providing. Cause it's not an objective measure. You know, there are guys out there who are doing fabulously well as a provider, as a financial success story, and they're still striving because somebody else has more, somebody else has higher status. And there's this shame factor for men that if I am not measuring up in whatever way my little mind has come up with to to see how I fit in the hierarchy, I, I can't tell anybody about this. Cause that would be, I'd be weak and I'd be, that reinforces the shame. So I just have to double down and I have to work harder and I have to keep striving. I have to keep doing better and more. And that leads to burnout. And if we believe the hypothesis that I put into the book, that having robust social support is a, an essential element of recovering from and preventing burnout, then shame also blocks that. Because if I say I can't reach out and tell people vulnerably how I'm actually doing, how I'm worried that I'm not really measuring up, then I'm sitting in that shame. And yet, when we do break the shame, and I'm you know, going to reference Brene Brown here because it's mm-hmm. where I lo- learned a lot of, of, of my understanding of shame is, and, and I've then experienced it personally, when I do take that, that brave step to share with somebody, somebody who I trust already, like, hey, this is what's going on for me, that the shame begins to evaporate because they typically, assuming it's, you know, I'm going to the right person, they will validate me like, oh, that sounds really rough. Do you need anything? Or yeah, 
that happened to me too. That's the worst. And it's like, oh, I'm not defective. I'm just dealing with a, my own stuff, whatever that is, my people pleasing and perfectionism, just to use a couple of my own qualifiers or factors. And I'm in a system that's encouraging me to strive in a way that's unhealthy for me. And so that shame piece, it, it, I think it gets guys into burnout. It keeps them stuck in burnout until they find the way to break through and share it with somebody. And now we start to open up all these other possibilities that, that uh, person in the well analogy you used before, like now the rope starts to get lowered and we're like, Oh, cool. I can, I can breathe a little easier. There's a rope. There is. Yeah. yeah. And I think this shame piece is just so critical for everyone that experiences not just burnout, but mental health issues. And we could go on. I mean, we could go on a whole tangent about how, how often that shows up the, and like you're saying, sometimes the reasons behind it are different, but the mechanism and the reality of it is the same. I was just at a, a big conference in Texas and it was, of course, I'm talking about burnout. And so the, there were groups of people at tables and they were having conversations about the workshop. We, during the workshop, you know, so it was like, hey, let's talk about this thing. And now I'm going to leave you at your tables so you can discuss. And somebody wrote to me after and said, you know, I experienced burnout. I had a really terrible time. And it turns out I'm not alone because I just had all these vulnerable conversations at the table. And who like who knew? And I was like, well, I mean, I knew. But this is what I keep trying to tell everybody. This podcast is nearing 25,000 downloads a month. You're definitely not the only person facing burnout. Right. There are a lot of podcasts to listen to, right? Right. 25,000 people are saying, I want to listen to burnout stuff. What does that tell you? Great marker. And and the studies that are out there, and there's been lots of them, right? But the the latest one that I keep seeing is 40-ish percent of of workers And that was the the lens of it. So if you if you're in a corporate setting and you look around at a meeting room with ten people in it, that means four of them are likely dealing with burnout yeah. on some part of the spectrum. Like this is way more normal than not. Yeah, yeah. So why be ashamed of that? Or you know, to your p- earlier point of of any mental health condition in the crazy world that we live in today. Of yeah. course we have anxiety. Of course we have depression. It, it's it's. I, I'm I'm hopeful that we're getting to a point by having more of these conversations that we're normalizing that this is part of the human experience yeah. and that we can say, okay, great. Now what? Exactly. Yeah. Well, and that's a really <laughs> good segue, Jim. Thanks for that. Now what? So one of the things, the reason that I really wanted to talk to you today, now that we're a half hour in is that you have a group program opening soon for men dealing with burnout. One, what's tell tell me tell me all the things. This is actually, you guys, something that I don't know a lot about. So the questions that I'm going to be asking are very honest because I don't know things. Yeah, this has been in the hopper for a little bit. We haven't talked in a couple months, <laughs> and I've been in a lot of design work. It it launches in September, and it's the expansive success program for men. So I know that word intimacy is a little too bit of, too much of a stretch sometimes for folks. And really what I looked at as I started to deconstruct, what is it that guys are after when they're in that place where they're chasing it and they're getting into burnout? It's to be successful. And ultimately, success gets defined for us if we follow the, you know, what society and culture tells us. 
and it leaves out so many of the parts that we want. A lot of the guys that come to me in my coaching practice, one of the questions I always ask them is like, so tell me about your social life. And they're like, yeah, I don't have one. I don't really have any connection with friends. Okay. You know, what's going on in your marriage? What's the temperature of your marriage? About 42 degrees, right? Like not really closely connected. How's For those in Europe, that was 42 degrees Celsius, which is actually pretty cold. It's like six degrees Celsius. 42 degrees Fahrenheit. Four degrees Fahrenheit. Yes. That's like six degrees Celsius. So just, yeah, we're talking cold. Forgot about the global <laughs> audience here. Yeah, 42 can be real hot, depending on where you are. <laughs> yeah, no, that's where we want to get to, perhaps. Is we want to flip from Fahrenheit to Celsius. We want you to have all of that. But really, if I consider the wheel of life, right? How's my financial status and how's my, my romantic relationship? And if I'm a dad, how's my parenting and how's my career and how's my health? All of those factors are measures of success. And yet the, the culture that we're in tells us to really focus on just a narrow selection of those. And that's what I keep seeing in the guys that I'm working with. So a lot of the work I've done over the last 12 years is to redesign my life in a way that I can check off, you know, a pretty high score in all of those areas of life. And that's what I want to be making available to more guys. What I love about that, the wheel of life is a pretty common life coaching exercise. And if you, if you're out there and you're like, what exercise, let me know, I'll send it to you. The wheel of life is this really common exercise and, and you have a wheel and there's, you know, all these sections and they have headings and you're supposed to fill in as much of the wheel as you feel like you have in that part of your life. And then you're supposed to outline the whole thing to see how mm -hmm. like crockety your, your, your wheel is. And I think the important part about understanding that as you go through life, different parts of your wheel are going to go up and down. And it's not about getting to like an eight all around and then just like maintaining an eight. It's about understanding that if you have a, a 75 to 80% sort of all around most of the time, then if one thing really drops, you can source from other areas in order to support that while it's off. Like yeah. sometimes we don't control that health things happen to ourselves or to our family members. Sometimes we don't control that we're suddenly thrust into a caregiver role. Sometimes COVID happens and like what? So having doing what you can on a regular basis to sort of keep your wheel as round as possible ensures that you have places to pull from if something goes sideways. Yeah. And ultimately, a lot of the work to me is starts with understanding who I am and where I'm mm -hmm. at. And a wheel of life exercise and there's others can just help us get that quick inventory yeah. like literally in five minutes like okay here's where i'm at here's where i want to prioritize yeah. growing in my life and, and what i want to change and then really deeply connecting with like okay i've gone along for however long and recognize that oh, i've arrived at this point where things aren't exactly how i wanted them so how do i want them and what what matters to me i'm a big fan of purpose work I just keep coming across that. I've been doing a lot of work with Conscious Capitalism, book by Raj Sisodia, that especially for business owners, that's a lot of who I work with, just presents a model that allows for that traditional level of success. I've got a client who I started working with a year ago. He, he runs a $25 million company and he is stressed out because he's not on track to get to 50 and 100. And I said, well, what do you want? And he says, I want that. And I want to also be able to spend time with my family and not be super stressed out all the time. And I said, okay, 
you know what you want. Now let's define the strategies to get you there. You can't do it the way you've been doing it. So we can we can have the traditional markers of success of I grew this kick-ass business and I did it in a way that supported me my, as a person, my family, the people I love, created opportunities for other people. So those are the things that get me so jazzed up about doing this work is when we start to dig down, we can see that there's not this false choice of I either succeed as a guy or I get to have the things that I want with my family and my friends and, and all. It's, it's, it's just not true. It's an old set of beliefs and let's rewire those. What is the group going to look like? Are you, are you doing weekly meetings? Is there a, is it yeah. Facebook? What's the, what's the scoop? Yeah, I'm not much of a Facebook fan. <laughs> I use it as sparingly as I need to for some community connections. It's an, it's an eight week interactive course that I facilitate. So we meet once a week for eight weeks, there's a, a curriculum that we walk through that you know kind of goes from inventory all the way through action plan and all the things that are in between. There's some tools and exercises that kind of help us really get into the, you know, the meat of it. But a lot of it is the facilitated conversations where I lead a group and it's about, I'm still, I still haven't decided what the cap is. It's either eight or 10 men at, at most, because I want to make sure that we're, it's probably going to be eight. So I want to make sure that each guy is getting the individual support that they need. And the reason, one of the other reasons I'm so passionate about this work is I have run some men's groups or some, some groups experiences have been all populated by men in the past. And I've been a part of a lot of group experiences where I'm learning alongside other people who are in the same boat as me, but with some different circumstances. And I invariably learn a ton from my peers and I develop new relationships. Some of my, my favorite relationships that I have over the past several years have come from those experiences. So I want to pass that along as well and, and pay that forward that people are building the new friendships, the new networks, the new supports in their life so that when they get done with the eight weeks, they, they're off and running, hopefully, and they also have peers that are off and running with them and they can start to troubleshoot. And, you know, I, I remain available to them through, I'm still defining what the community piece of that's going to be, but making sure that, you know, they have what they need to actually make that change. And it gives them the opportunity to practice, to practice expansive intimacy. Exactly. And that's the part that is, it's not bait and switch. It's just that here's the thing you didn't know that you wanted and needed that once you get a taste of it, you realize like, oh, that was the essential ingredient. Yeah. I think that's true for almost every coaching program that's worth its weight in salt is, and, and for all of you out there that don't know anything about marketing courses, you are about to learn something. You give people what they think they want. You tell people that it is what they think they want. You give them what they think they want. And then you give them what you know they need. There's an extra layer. So name it the way that it makes sense to them and that they'll get it. Give them the thing that they actually want. Actually provide that thing that you say you're providing. And then up the ante. Yes. Because there's and always I, another level. There's always another level. Yeah. Give them more than they expected so that they can go further than they knew. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And it's hard as a guy to sell services that are based on things like consciousness and intimacy, which are really at the foundation of what has created this amazingly rich life that I get to experience. Yeah. Like, I want you all to have it because it's so amazing that you, you don't even know. And, and so yeah. you, if you, if you don't, if you're not, you know, if you're not there yet, 
you'll get there. Yeah. <laughs> Just come join yes. the group. And, yes, exactly. And we'll, we'll see after you do your 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 left brain plan and all that stuff. That's that's also important. Do you have a start date, or is that coming? It's mid September. I haven't picked the formal exactly. date. It's going to depend on the enrollment and all the you know kind of getting the schedule wrangled. But it'll be mid September run for eight weeks and then we're just going to keep running them, you know, keep, cool. uh, keep getting more men through that. And, you know, ideally I'm, I'm hoping to, to populate it with as many guys who own and run small businesses. That's really the guys that I work with the best because there's such a ripple effect, you know, when they change and I've seen it in numerous clients that I've worked with, when they make that progression, they unlock so much potential in their organizations. They create some happier people who are going home to their families and so I'm after impact, as you know, from all our conversations. Yeah. And so if I can work with, you know, people who then have the amplifier effect, that's, that's a gem. I'm into it. Fried fam. We have talked a lot over the years about how community matters. And I feel like this conversation was possibly the first time that we really truly dove into why and, and how community matters so much. I mean, we talk about community mattering because the research says so, but the actual like intentional building of it, which when you're deep, deep, deep into burnout is like not the time to do it because you're not connecting with people. So this is part of a, a little bit of a later process, but this is at such a critical piece and the description that you gave on like, what that really means and how that breaks down the shame and how to let down the drawbridges when you need to, but pick them back up when you need to, too, I think will really hit home for everyone that listens, she, he, they, yeah. or other. So I'm really grateful to have space for that. And as per usual, I'm super grateful that you exist. And I'm so glad that there's a space that, that can be offered to people in this community that might not always feel like things are set up for them because we do talk to women most of the time. So thank you for opening that space and making it a little wider and a little more welcoming and a little more invite, invitive, invitive. I'll go you with know that. What I mean, sure. I'm just going to make up words, you guys. Yeah. I, I, I so appreciate that. And just one other thing I want to drop yeah. in there is I love that you noted some pronouns there and expanded the list. One of the things I want people to know about my work is I talk about serving men because it's the experience that I know. And because I know how much, how many of the keys that we hold to how the world runs these days. And the real reason I do it, I was just working on some purpose statement work recently, and I revised it to make sure that it is that my purpose is to help all people. My mission, my strategy is to do that through men because of that power structure and that dynamic. I have three kids, one who's non-binary, one who identifies as male, one who identifies as female. I love them all just as much as the other. That's true, guys. There's no favorite. <laughs> and, and I just, you know, I want there to be space for all of us. And if guys can help unlock some of that space by being more expansively intimate, I think they can, then, then we all win. It becomes safer for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Jim, thanks for cracking down the walls of toxic masculinity for us. 
one little chip at a time. I'm, I'm working on it. Thanks for, uh, for having me on the show again, Kate. Fried fam. Soak this up, please. Let us know what you're thinking. And the links for everything you need will be in the show notes. So if you're thinking about, if you're listening and you're like, I kind of need Jim's group, you'll find it in the show notes. I'll see you next time. Ain't gonna burn ourselves out no more. Ain't gonna burn ourselves out no more. Got each other on our side, plus all the folks at Fried the Burnout Podcast with Kate Donovan.